Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Dan Ugambe Vreelin, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the UFC's last trip to the Apex, at least for a little while before they head off to Fight Island. We've got Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker in the main event, but as you guys who frequent this show already know, we are only going to be focused on the prelim portion of that card. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and you might be wondering why do that, why only focus on the prelim portion of the card, the answer is really simple. The answer is because we believe that you guys probably already know a lot about Dan Hooker and, and Dustin Poirier and the other people on the main card, but you're probably a little bit more in the dark on what's going on in the prelim portion of the card, and I personally feel that's where you can get a lot of value in playing both daily fantasy sports and when you're gambling. So we're here to help you out with that. But before we get to the meat of the show, I do want to mention that this show is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. They give you a way to track your progress in martial arts using a logging system with notes built into it. No longer do you have to use a sweaty jiu-jitsu notebook that you're clearly going to misplace and never look back to. Instead, it's all in the palm of your hands with the phone that you're bringing to class anyway. So... Download the Maroon Social app wherever it is you download apps. Now, of course, I couldn't break down these fights today without a savvy co-host joining me today from the Fixed Fight podcast as well as fan-sided MMA. I've got Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Happy to be here. All right, guys. And as you know, we start every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And in this special first round, we're going to be doing just... Former Invicta fighters, with the exception of Mauro Romero Barella, but she'll be fighting Miranda Maverick. Mauro Romero Barella is on a three-fight losing streak with losses to Lauren Murphy, Montana De La Rosa, and Courtney Casey. One by KO, one by decision, and one by submission. Miranda Maverick, meanwhile, is making her UFC debut. She recently won the Phoenix Rising 2 tournament with a final win over Deanna Bennett, and then she followed that up by beating Pearl Gonzalez. So... It seems like Mauro Romero Barella here is being the lamb to slaughter sort of for, for the hot prospect. Since you're kind of the resident Invicta expert, tell us why people should be hyped on Miranda Maverick. I mean, people should be hyped on, hyped on Miranda Maverick because she is one of, if not the best, 125-pound prospect in the world. Uh, all of her professional fights except for one came under the Invicta banner, so that gives you a sense of the competition she's been facing since her professional debut. Um, and generally I think she's gonna, she is a physical specimen. She is a fantastic wrestler, uh, with a ever evolving striking game. Um, and to be honest, I think she beats, uh, Barella here in, in every aspect of the fight. Um, especially if it goes late. Maverick is an absolute grinder. Um, she will be aggressive the entire 15 minutes and we've seen Barella kind of fade late in the fight. Um, and even if it stays on the feet, don't be surprised if you see Maverick uh, flashing some new skills as she's been doing in her last few fights. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, too, is if you thought that she would probably try to work some of those, being that she's up against somebody who it, she can seemingly take her down whenever she wants and, and make sure that she wins. It's not like Barella's going to knock her out on the feet. Do you think she's going to try to show off those striking skills? 
I think a little bit, um, and I don't think she'll get out of hand. Um, I think she – I know, actually, Miranda Maverick still sees herself as a wrestler, and she recognizes that in most fights that's her easiest path to victory. But she hung out on the feet quite a bit against Pearl Gonzalez, who is a, a decent boxer. Um, and, yeah, since since uh, Maverick has made the move from Missouri to Virginia, she, she's been adding more and more uh, striking skills. So I think you wouldn't – I wouldn't be surprised if you see long stretches of the fight here happen on the feet. All right, and so it's come to that point where i got to ask you for a prediction. How do you see Maverick getting it done? I'm going with Maverick, late stoppage, third round, ground and pound. All right, yeah, I'm going to go with her by ground and pound, too. I'll say a little bit earlier. I think she probably gets it done in the second round. Uh, after absolutely wearing Barella out in the first, uh, Barella will want no part of her in the second. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Jinu Frey versus Kay Hansen. Frey, last fought defending her Invicta 105-pound title against Ashley Cummins back in February. Before that, she had a failed attempt to go get the Ryzen title under the same weight class. Hansen has back-to-back Invicta wins. She had a guillotine back in October and a decision back in March. And it's worth noting she's only 20 years old. She was born in 1999. That'll make you feel old. Now, I'm interested what you think primarily would happen due to the size disparity in this fight with Frey being quite a bit smaller than Hansen. Well, I do think it's worth noting that that Jin Yu has struggled to make weight and actually her last fight she failed to make championship weight. She was under 106, so you know, she made Adam weight, but she actually didn't uh defend her title officially in her last fight. Um and I know Kay Hansen has fought at 125 before, so she's going to be probably a, a fair amount bigger. Um, and I do think that will will play into it. And I believe, um, well, lines aren't posted yet, but I would imagine Jin Yu Fry is is quite a, a decent favorite here just based on her experience. Uh, but don't be surprised if, if this hits the mat, um, especially if Kay Hansen is on top, she might she might rack up some points and, and win a round here. That said, I, I tend to favor Jin Yu just based on her experience. Um, and most of all, her power. I think that's still going to translate up at 115. She's a cleaner more nuanced striker compared to Kay Hansen. But man, if they are tied up in a grappling exchange, whether on the clinch or on the mat, things are interesting here right away. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that, that's sort of how I build it too, is sort of almost like a striker versus grappler matchup. But here's the question. Can Kay Hansen shorten up the range enough and get inside on somebody like Frey enough to, to make the grappling even a question? I don't think so. Um, she she hasn't. I mean, it's worth noting. Yes, she's 20 years old and still super young in the sport and has all this athleticism. But the, the double edged sword to that is I haven't seen her put together a, a really like veteran performance, something that I would expect to see out of Jin Yu. So, you know, maybe for especially early on, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kay Hansen gets her down. But the longer this fight goes on, the more I favor the older, more experienced fighter. All right, so how do you see her getting it done then? If you're going with Jin Frey, how does she win this fight? I like her by by close competitive decision. All right, I'm going to take the same thing. I like Jin Frey by decision here. I think she just keeps the range enough to keep Hansen out of grappling distance. So that's going to do it with the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Round number two. All right, guys, one quick note here about Maroon Social. Not only can you log your training sessions, but they've got a great function that allows you to log your competitions. It's my favorite part of the app because it allows you to not only, you know, check on your progress and stuff like that, but it basically gives you a record. You know, you might use Tapology if you're an MMA fan. 
It's basically your own personal tapology in the palm of your hands no matter what. You can remember what submissions you hit three years ago because that's how long ago you've been using the app, or at least I have. So download the Maroon Social app, create your own grappling history today. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Kama Worthy versus Luis Violent Bob Ross Pena. Worthy KO'd Devante Smith on short notice back in his debut. Pena, meanwhile, is 2-1 in his last three. He TKO'd Matt Wyman, followed that up with a decision loss to Matt Frivola, and then took a decision over Steve Garcia, who was taking that fight on short notice. So here's my question for you. Pena... Not really a big finisher when he's on the feet, right? Like, he's got some submission wins. Not a lot of knockout stuff on the feet. So the question is, can he get worthy to the mat? Or do you see him even being able to win a points decision on the feet? I could see him winning a points decision just based on activity. Um, I know he has a wrestling background. was a high school state champion, I believe. But we haven't really seen him institute, like, a, a wrestling-heavy attack here, especially not for an extended period of time. Um, and I know people are high on, on Luis Pena, and he arguably won that fight against um, Matt Frivola. That was a really, really close decision. But that said, man, I am I'm not sold on Luis Pena's defense on the feet. Um, and we know Kama Worthy can can swing and hit really, really big. Uh, so I'm actually I, I might be going with the upset pick here in Kama Worthy. I, I'm absolutely happy that you said this because this was my one circled upset on the card as well because. I think that this is a, a badly lined fight right now because you can get Kama Worthy at like plus 200 if you're a gambling man. And, and Kama Worthy, like you said, crazy knockout power. But it's also worth noting, not only did he knock out Devontae Smith, he was outstriking him before that. He was landing more shots even before the knockout blow came. So while he's like a big knockout guy and he's got that big punching power... I also think he can probably go volume for volume against Luis Pena. So if he's landing the bigger shots and he's keeping it anywhere near as close to the amount of shots as far as volume goes, I think even a decision is probably a tricky one for Luis Pena here. And you're right, his wrestling, it might be good, but being as thin as he is, being that he's not as big as is comma worthy in terms of muscle or in terms of strength, I just don't see him grappling him up. So, yeah, I'm going comma worthy here by knockout. Sounds like you're right on the same track. Give me your official prediction. Yeah, kind of crazy. I'm going comma worthy by knockout as well. I don't think Pena reacts particularly well to getting hit. All right, and that brings us to our second fight in this round, which is Sean Woodson versus Kyle Nelson. Woodson had a very impressive decision in his debut over Kyle Bochniak last October. Nelson, meanwhile, seemed to have saved his career with a knockout of Polo Reyes. He was 0-2 before that with losses to Carlos Diego Fajeda and Matt Salis. So, uh, obviously, Woodson is a much taller guy than just about everybody in this division, but Kyle Nelson is a little bit taller than the average person, too. He's almost six feet tall, which is really tall for a, a featherweight. So how do you think Sean Woodson deals with a guy who's almost the same height as him? That's always a problem, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, that a guy that's used to fighting as the much taller fighter, the second he fights somebody who is close to his height can kind of throw him off his game. Obviously, that's a, a double-edged sword, right? Kyle Nelson is also used to being probably the, tall, the taller fighter. Um, you know, Woodson is really crafty. Obviously, he looked really, really good against Bochniak. He's from, you know, this region where I live. So I should be rooting for him. But I'm actually going to go with another upset pick here, partly because I don't think Woodson 
has the power to put away Nelson early. Um, but I think Nelson has power that will carry late into the fight. And I think that'll, that'll cause problems, especially in the smaller cage here. We're going to see, I think Kyle Nelson able to, to put Woodson against the cage and unload big, big shots. That's interesting too. Cause uh, so Woodson has come out and said, he thinks that Nelson is probably going to try to grapple him. Do you feel the same way? Or do you feel like this is a fight where Nelson can stay comfortable on the feet for an extended period of time? Oh, I think he'll try to grapple for sure. At the very least, push him up against the cage and and do work there. I just don't – I would be shocked if he's able to, like, consistently take Sean Woodson down and, and beat him up just based on the skills we've seen from Woodson so far. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. Basically because, you know, when you look at Kyle Bochniak's wrestling record, you know, Bochniak is a guy who's done really well grappling, and, and he didn't really get Sean Woodson down for any kind of sustained period of time. So – I sort of agree with you on that one, but I am going to disagree with you on the pick. I'm going to go with Sean Woodson. I don't know if he's got the knockout power to do it too, but I think he's better at range. And if he's able to keep it in range, I think he probably picks up a point decision here. Um, So it sounds like you're going with Nelson. Do you see the knockout in his uh, future? Yeah, I like Nelson by upset knockout second round. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks, and we're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with the last three fights. All right, guys, one final note here about Maroon Social. Another really great function of the app is the fact that you're allowed to comment on other friends' training sessions or their competitions. Look, we've all had that friend we've trained with for so long move away, and now all of a sudden you're disconnected. And if you're talking, you're probably not talking about jujitsu all the time. So this is an opportunity for you not only to connect with that person, but to connect with that person about what you already know and love together. So Download the Maroon Social app, find your friends on it, encourage them to do so, and start getting connected with the jiu-jitsu community. And we are back with round number three. We're going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this loaded round with Felipe Linz versus Tanner Bolser. Linz, a recent million-dollar winner for the Professional Fight League, came to the UFC and lost a decision to gritty veteran Andre Arlovsky, which was only about a month ago. Tanner Bolser won and won in the UFC. Meanwhile, he won a decision victory over Dan Spitz in his debut, lost his follow-up performance to Surreal Ghani, but he did go 15 minutes with Surreal Ghani, which is worth noting. So obviously both of these guys fall kind of into a category of letting their opponents take the initiative in the fight, which which can be difficult at heavyweight to be that kind of guy. Which do you think might get the upper hand and take the initiative in this fight? Man, that's a great observation of both these guys, to be honest, and one I hadn't thought of. But um, I like Linz here. I know he royally disappointed in his UFC debut against Arlovsky, uh, but I still think he is the the higher upside fighter here. I think he can fight at a higher pace a little bit longer into the fight. Tanner Bozer, yes, he did look good against Cyril Gane in terms of uh, surviving a full 15 minutes here. But in my mind, Tanner Bozer is just like the the stereotypical heavyweight. He's a big kind of blubbery guy that hits really hard and doesn't do anything that is really going to jump off the page. And to a degree, that's Philippe Linz, too. But I think Linz has more skill. Uh, a higher level of competition in, in his background um, and an ability to fight at a higher pace a little bit longer. So I think Linz takes takes it here. Uh, I hope not by decision just because I don't want to see another boring heavyweight fight. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with him by decision here and probably what will be a boring heavyweight fight. To me, 
Tanner Bowser just fits that bill of like some of the guys he fought in professional fighters league, right? Like if you look at the Josh Copeland's, like he almost seems like a Josh Copeland type guy, maybe with like less wrestling and a little bit more striking, but like he fits that bill. And I think Lynn's probably does enough here to, to stay away from losing to the Tanner Bowsers of the division. And that takes us to a new debuter in the division, which is Ramiz Bramij, who is fighting Takachi Saito. Brahimaj. God, I knew I was going to slaughter that name. He's 8-2, and, and he's making his UFC debut. He last beat Carlos Martinez by arm triangle at LFA 62. He was planning on fighting Miguel Baeza at Contender Series, but an injury cost him that opportunity. So, And obviously, we've seen good things from Baeza since then. Saito, meanwhile, knocked out Ben Saunders in his debut, but followed that up by getting submitted by Bilal Muhammad. Some high-level competition for him. Um, and sort of the, the thing on Sato is, is that he's got a lot of power, right? Here's the question. Is, is Ramiz crafty enough to avoid that power? I don't think so. Uh, obviously, there's not a ton of tape. I mean, the LFA fights are out there on, on uh, Ramiz, but, you know, he hasn't shown us anything to where I could confidently say he's going to be able to find Sato's chin. Who it is, You know, that chin is, is quite hittable, but going in there against Bilal Muhammad, Ben Saunders, like... Sato has been in there with, with absolutely elite fighters, and I, you know, I can't put any sort of confidence behind Brahimaj here in, in, in this spot. That said, like, man, I would not ride that Takashi Sato train for super long. He is obviously a fun fighter, has decent judo and, and big power, but man, he holds his chin way up in the air, and his best defense seems to be just having a good chin. Yeah, I, I don't really love his the way he defends anything right like because he, he pretty much doesn't right but I also I'm I'm leaning towards Ramiz here because Fortis always comes out with a great game plan and I know that with Bilal Muhammad having grappled up Sato really well I don't think he's as good as Bilal Muhammad or maybe ever will be as good as Bilal Muhammad but I think he can almost follow a, a pseudo Bilal Muhammad game plan here with the takedowns and with like a little bit of top pressure and look his last like six wins, maybe no, every single win he has in his career, all eight of them are by submission. So I'm gonna say he wins this fight. I'm gonna take him by submission late in the game as long as he stays away from those big hands of Sato. Who do you got and how do you got him? I'm going with Sato, exact opposite knockout. I just don't. I don't think Brian Maj has felt anybody with that kind of power before. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that's gonna move us to our third fight of this round, which is Jordan Griffin versus Yusuf Zalal. Griffin seemed to have saved his career with a, a, a Marcella team submission of TJ Brown. Uh, and before that, he had losses to Chaz Skelly and Dan Ige, which are certainly no slouches. Zalal made a short-notice debut and took a very impressive decision win over Austin Lingo back in February. So, uh, obviously, Zalal made Zingo fight, or Zalal made Lingo fight his style of fight, which was really impressive. I was really, really blown away by that. Is there any way Griffin can get Zalal away from the type of fight Zalal wants? I actually, I, I do think so. I mean, that UFC debut from Zalal was one of the most impressive I've seen in a minute. And not taking anything away from Austin Lingo, who was also like, I mean, he was expected to win that fight. Um, but that's, it's a totally different level of competition. You compare Jordan Griffin has been in there with a guy like Dan Ige for, I believe, 15 minutes, right? That was mm -hmm. a decision. Yep. yep. I think that speaks volumes here. The fact that Griffin has spent so much time in the cage with truly, I think, especially Dan Ige, we're talking about elite talent here. Um, I'm not convinced that Zalal can, you know, he's kind of a, a Darce specialist and I think Jordan Griffin is going to be pretty well prepared for that. 
Um, Zalal does really flashy stuff on the feet. Griffin is obviously not nearly as flashy, uh, but I think he's well-trained enough. I, out of that Rufus Sport camp, I trust his striking. I trust his experience more than anything else. Um, I do think this is a great fight on paper, and I think in practice it's going to turn out to be a great fight as well. But I tend to favor Griffin ever so slightly. That's interesting because I, I see it as a fight where I really trust Zalal on the feet. I'm worried that it goes to the ground if you're you're somebody who's considering picking Zalal here. Because while I do think you're right, he is a Dar's choke specialist. He's got good chokes on the ground. I don't think, you know, we've seen Griffin dispose of guys like that, right? TJ Brown is that guy. TJ Brown's got good scrambling skills, good submission skills. And he wound up falling into a really nasty choke and put out cold from top side control, basically. So, like, in, in order for me to like Zalal here, I have to like him enough on the feet. It sounds like you don't. So, how do you got this fight ending? Who do you see winning? Man, it's a weird, a really weird, I think, good. There's going to be lots of scrambles. I like Griffin by... <laughs> it's weird to pick a split decision, but I do think this will be so close that judges will see it different ways. I like Griffin, though. Yeah, and when you see those fights that are like half grappling, half striking, that's when the, the split decision comes in. So calling a split decision, people always yell bullshit on that. But I, I agree with that, right? Like, if I see this being a very close decision. I'm going to take Zalal with the tight, tighter striking on the feet and probably landing bigger shots. While Griffin might land more, he's probably going to land the big stuff. So I like Zalal here by decision. And that's going to do it with the end of our third round. We gave you guys seven fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you learned something. And I want to thank my co-host for today, Benjamin Abrigo. Ben, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you.